This podcast is sponsored by IdealWorkspace.com, which promotes a healthier way of working through their adjustable standing desk. Check out their latest smart adjustable standing desk at aspirus.co, A-S-P-I-R-U-S.co. Welcome to Analyze Asia, the podcast dedicated to dissect the pulse of business, technology, and media in Asia. In the final of the two-parter episodes, we continue the discussion with Eva Xiao from TechNote on Tencent. Specifically focusing on WeChat, the popular messaging app in China, we discuss whether WeChat is cannibalizing QQ and Tencent's investment strategy in healthcare and gaming companies. Now we finish off with QQ, we come to probably the most important thing of the conversation is WeChat. Right? The numbers based on, by the end of 2015, I think they have about 697 million monthly active users with a year-on-year growth of about 39%. But the last number I just heard was 800 million. The first part would be, what are the core revenue drivers for WeChat? So with WeChat, I think an important thing, if we're talking about revenue, I would really focus on WeChat Wallet, which is a mobile payment system that Tencent created for WeChat. And WeChat Wallet allows you to, it's if you're familiar with Ant Financial, the financial affiliate of Alibaba, their payment, their mobile payment system, Alipay, it's very similar. So you can go, it's QR code based, so you can go to different offline or brick-and-mortar merchants and pay through WeChat Wallet. WeChat Wallet also has the red envelope. So that's kind of a fun way, or I guess more fun way, to send money to different people that you're friends with on WeChat. So the red envelope, for those who don't know, is a way in Chinese culture, suppose, you know, during Chinese New Year, you give people a red envelope for money. So, you know, that's WeChat Wallet. But in terms of driving revenue on WeChat, WeChat Wallet is important because official accounts on WeChat, which companies can open for branding or do content marketing. So official accounts on WeChat and merchants are charged a, I believe it's a 0.06% transaction fee. So that is definitely one way that they generate revenue. In March this year, there's big news about WeChat Wallet charging a transaction fee. So WeChat Wallet connects to your bank account. And if you want to pull, I think, more than 1,000 RMB from your bank account, then they will charge 0.1% of that transaction. And then they have a minimum transaction fee of 0.1 RMB. And this is essentially to cover their own costs So they, when they get charged by banks. That's not really, I guess that pulls into the revenue, but that's just a way for them to cover their own costs. Just to summarize, I know I uh, went through a lot of descriptions. I would say the, the core part of monetizing WeChat comes from their mobile payment through different types of transaction fees. And just to make it clear, if I send you money through WeChat with the red envelope, I'm not charged anything. Oh, so the peer-to-peer is actually free without transaction costs. Yes. So again, I guess that's a, yeah, it's a focus on user experience and kind of pushing that, the monetization to merchants and, and businesses. So how does WeChat work for the consumer then? So WeChat has a lot of different mechanisms that are can be described as protective of the user. So in that way, it is very different from QQ. If you open QQ, it's, I would say it's more cluttered. WeChat is deliberately compartmentalized. So if you don't play games, you can actually forget that you can access games through WeChat because it's in its own special little game section. Of course, QQ has that well, but I guess another step is that I mentioned official accounts before, which are used often by companies to push, you know, posts related to their company or different announcements. Official accounts can have their own little like WeChat store where they sell stuff. 
All of that is delegated to an official account account section. Some accounts can send you messages directly. But again, it's controlled because those accounts, they have a limit on frequency. They can only push those four times a month. Whereas if you stayed in the official accounts section, you can post daily. But again, there's that limit of frequency, which for the user is great because then you don't get spammed by companies. You know, it's, it's separated. They have limits on what companies can do. And recently, Tencent kind of re-emphasize some of their rules. And these rules are really important for companies to not step over because it could result in them having their accounts banned or temporarily taken down or your post can get taken down. And as you know, WeChat for marketing is really growing. So if you don't have an official account, it's very it really limits your marketing channels in China. As an official account, you have to make sure that you don't offer incentives for follows or shares, for example. So like You know, to make this, I guess, more clear, you know, if I'm a company, I can't ask you to follow my account just to get a discount code that technically breaks the rules. So you can see that from a user perspective, companies, I'm sure, don't appreciate this because you're blocked from doing anything you want in terms of advertising and marketing. But the goal, I'm sure, from the product side and the user experience side is to, to try to keep WeChat really a social platform. So that means they actually protect users a lot. And I think they also have a lot of restrictions for what companies can do. Yes. So Tencent has gotten some criticism for censoring content. I think, you know, this often comes up if you're a company in China. So Tencent does do that. And it does have the it does ban rumors and things like that to kind of play within China's regulations. So recently, you know, when they did publicize, I mentioned they reemphasized certain rules that had existed before. They also made it clear that if you want to collect data from your users, you have to be explicit about it, number one. And then two, the user has to consent to it. So... That's another way to protect users. The interesting part about WeChat, it, when everybody talks about it, is always about convenient and accessible services. Can you talk a little bit about which are the ones that people usually do? I'm sure you are using it, some of these services every day. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I mentioned, I think at the beginning of our conversation, something about the online lifestyle. So I think a really smart play by Tencent is focusing on social. So making social kind of the core of their ecosystem if you want to call it that, because people socialize every day. So if you create a social application like WeChat that's about messaging and about interacting with other people, there's going to be daily usage if you're successful. WeChat is that social core, and then there's all these other services that are plugged into it while you're in there. So you can pay your bills, which for me is really useful because as a foreigner, If you want to pay your electric bills, I don't know if this applies to Chinese people as well. In the past, I would take my the bill that I was mailed and then I would go to a convenience store in China called Family Mart and then they would scan something and I would pay in cash. So you can kind of imagine that process, me getting my bill, then like going downstairs and having to find this convenience store and then paying in cash. Cannot pay with anything else. So that when I just came to China, I think two years ago, that's how I paid my bills. And then slowly, of course, I plugged into Alipay and, and then, you know, WeChat Wallet. And Alipay can do this as well. But you can pay your bills just from there's a 
kind of a number on your bills and you can pay directly through WeChat. And you can top up your phone, which is really useful. You can order food, you can order a taxi, you can get little e-coupons for food and things like that. You can shop on JD, which is plugged into WeChat as well. So really, there's kind of an astounding number of services you can access just through one application. So recently, WeChat launched the enterprise version on 18th of April. I think this is probably to mimic enterprise messaging system, maybe something very similar to what Slack is like in the US. So what does it do? The launch of enterprise WeChat, and I'm not sure about its success or if it will be successful. It, it launched, it was meant to reduce what a lot of people call WeChat fatigue. So, you know, despite compartmentalizing things and trying to keep your the social part of WeChat not pure but not too cluttered right still there's a lot going on you know I follow a lot of accounts I spend a lot of time on WeChat for some people that can just like I said result in WeChat fatigue so and and I guess something that people in China can relate to is that WeChat the work and personal life part of WeChat is really blurred and I'm really guilty of this. I'll WeChat someone about work, maybe 11 p.m., sometimes later. Whereas an email, I don't know. I think because it's social, but you also have work contacts in there, it's very easy to mix the two. The enterprise WeChat is supposed to help you separate your work life and personal life. So, like, for example, I can block messages. You know, if I had, in theory, if I had working hours, like set working hours, I could block messages uh, outside of that through enterprise WeChat. Are there any other additional tools that you could use as well? Or is it just basically meant for you to partition your work and your personal life? Well, you can also do video calls as well, you know, different tools like that. And you can set alerts to things. You can do receipts so you know when people read things. So they've added some features that I think are more geared towards a professional or work environment. But I think... At the moment, if you look at other tools like work tools like Trello, you mentioned Slack. I don't, I don't think it's on par yet. So I think there's, they still have some development that needs to be done. I think just now you've talked a little bit about WeChat monetizing from their platform. I guess for a service, say like example, Didi Dacha, how do it work for them being on WeChat then? So for them, Didi Chuxing, which is the ride hailing app in China, I think partnering with Didi is not as much about the transaction fee, but from Didi's perspective, it's about accessing WeChat's user base. So it's another funnel from, from WeChat users to DD. I would say for DD and WeChat, it's kind of a win-win situation where WeChat extends its ecosystem so it has like yet another service in its platform. And people on DD, so DD is not, ex you can't, it's not exclusive to WeChat wallet. You can pay with other ways as well. So I think that's not as a big part of their partnership as it is about expanding. And then from Didi's perspective, again, it's about tapping into WeChat's enormous base of users. So for example, I understand WeChat wallet has about 200 million users. How yeah. far are they from, for example, Ant Financial for Alibaba's market share? So I have to say that because Ant Financial, they really do have a huge head start. So their market share of mobile payment space is around 70%. So it's huge. And Alipay, people used to call it the PayPal of Taobao. But of course, now it's much more than that. But because e-commerce is kind of its roots, it really took off. But that being said, I would say that WeChat Wallet has done a lot of creative marketing campaigns to increase its market share. So every Chinese New Year, 
there's not every, but for the past few years, both Tencent and Alibaba have done Chinese New Year's like red envelope campaigns because like I mentioned before, red envelopes are a big part of Chinese New Year. So in China, there's like four hour long kind of variety show on Chinese New Year's Eve called the Spring Festival Gala. And during one of these, I think it's 2014, WeChat Wallet had partnered with them for a promotion. So one of the features on WeChat, among its you know many features, is called it's a, a shaking, shake, shake feature. So you can like shake your your phone, and then sometimes different things happen. Like maybe you you can find people around you, or you can find different e coupons. You know, merchants nearby can reach out to you. But anyway, that year WeChat Wallet did like a hugely successful marketing campaign where different at different times you would shake and you could win, you know, little packets of money. And last year was really crazy. I remember I was spending Chinese New Year with my grandma and some relatives. Uh, coworkers were sending me like screenshots of a list they all made of like when you could shake for either Alipay or WeChat Wallet. And so I felt like the whole time during Spring Festival Gala, I was just checking the time so like I knew when to shake where I could maybe win like, you know, one RMB or two RMB. But it's it's through these marketing campaigns that WeChat Wallet has been able to engage a ton of people. And the shake shake function is called Sao Yi Sao. It's almost reminiscent of Google's I'm feeling lucky function as well, right? <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Yeah, and oh, I was going to say that Alipay now has a similar function. Oh, it's called Show Show. Okay, mm. Alipay has a function called Show Show, which is pretty much the same thing as Shake Shake. And in, and actually in Chinese, it's Yao Yi Yao. So Sao Yi Sao is scan, mm. but Yao Yi Yao is shake. So that's the Chinese way to say that feature for WeChat. Al, yeah, so Alipay has taken that from, from Tencent. And if you, you know, something else to kind of note here is if you go on Alipay, they also have like a friend. They've tried to made it, make it more social, almost in some cases entirely mimicking WeChat's UI. So that's why I said earlier that Tencent, one of their smartest moves was like making a bet on social. That's interesting. So they also made a strategic investment in one of the big three messaging apps in Asia, which is Kakaotalk. Any thoughts on why they do that? Is it just because they want to buy users from another market? So I think with Tencent's investment strategy, there's two different ways to look at it. I think some of their investments are more straightforward, where it's clearly about growing their WeChat or their ecosystem. So like we mentioned before, Didi Chusing is one of the investments that they made, and that plugs directly into WeChat. So it's very, you know, very clear to see why they did that. Other investments, I think, and maybe this applies to Kakao Talk, are about expanding overseas without having to spend too many resources on it. And with Kakao Talk, I know they also have an online payment system as well. So I wonder if by investing in Kakao Talk, it's a way for them to gain insights in another market without having to, say, do the expansion themselves. So I think some less obvious investments of Tencent are related to expanding overseas or just gathering intelligence. And I guess the other interesting bit is, of course, WeChat and QQ are actually pretty similar products. The question I wanted to ask you is, is WeChat cannibalizing QQ? And I think the deeper question that I'm trying to ask is, how does Tencent deal with disruption itself? Because I hear from Baobin, from China Accelerator and SOS Ventures that Tencent as a company is like a major incubator 
incubating all these different companies. So QK and WeChat is like companies within that framework. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. I'm not sure if WeChat is cannibalizing QQ, but I think it is thinking them as internal competitors is maybe a, a good way to understand them. So because competition often creates you know, a diverse ecosystem, more innovation, and a lot of people compare QQ and WeChat's development to Microsoft's development of the Xbox during Bill Gates' time at Microsoft. So QQ and WeChat were, the teams were deliberately separated so that their products developed independently. The goal was to create a mobile platform. So at that time, Tencent was really looking to see if they could pull some of their businesses like QQ's instant messaging into the mobile space. So QQ and WeChat were separated to kind of tackle that problem, those two teams rather. And then with Xbox, there were also two teams in Microsoft that were that really wanted to make a game console. And so they were separated. And again, unlike QQ and WeChat, Bill Gates kind of signed off on one, but the final product actually mixed elements of both. So I think if you compare those two products are three products, I guess, but QQ and WeChat and then Xbox, you can see that separating the teams and having them do independent development means that you get these different ideas, these different products, and ultimately you can kind of pick the best of both worlds. I think with the cannibalizing QQ, I think it depends on how innovative the QQ team can be. You know, maybe they can jump on something else in a way that WeChat can't just because of the roles they play. Going back to your Balbean's comment about disruption and incubation. I think that's true. So Tencent now, like I mentioned before, they invest, they've they invested in many, many different companies, different startups now, sort of as a way to, one, of course, some startups can become part of WeChat's ecosystem. Like there's a, a movie ticketing startup called WePiao. And, you know, box office revenues in China have jumped, I think, over 50% in the past year. So it's a very lucrative area and for Tencent, it makes total sense to just invest in this company and pull it into their ecosystem. So I, as a user, I can order movie tickets. So there's some investments like that. But also because Tencent, in the past, they tried to make Weixing, so WeChat's Chinese name, they tried to make WeChat more popular outside of China. And I don't think they were that successful. So I remember seeing this, there's an interview of Pony Mon. He was saying that for them now investing in startups is a smarter way for them to expand overseas and also I think into other other industries. So like instead of having to adapt to local culture, hire a local team, create a new project or a product or adjust your products, you can Tencent can actually just support a founder or support another company but also as an investor have some leverage over their business, whether that's pulling their services in or even just having insight into their company and how they function. From a startup's point of view, Tencent can be a very powerful investor or that, that can offer you a lot of support while giving you, letting you still be operate independently. And then for Tencent, on the flip side, Tencent is able to expand its influence and then have more intelligence across a wide a wide array of industries. So Tencent is currently active in the venture capital investments and acquisitions. Can you talk about some of the interesting companies which they have invested? Yeah, sure. So I think in the gaming sector, something that's, you know, I have to mention is Riot Games. Last December, they bought the remaining shares of Riot Games. And then before that, they owned, you know, 93% of the company's shares. 
So they have this, you know, full control over a huge gaming company that's responsible for League of Legends, which is really, really popular uh, all around the world. So, and they've they've also invested in Epic Games as well. Those are two U.S.-based gaming companies that Tencent has invested a lot of money in. In addition to that, they've also invested in Lyft. Lyft is a ride-hailing startup in the U.S., also partnered with another investee of Tencent, Didi. So in that case, you can see, like, for example, if you're Tencent and you wanted to expand to the ride-hailing industry in, the, in North America, it's a lot smarter to just invest in a, an existing company which already has an established network and business instead of creating your own products, right? So I think if you look at those international investments, it makes a lot of sense. More, I guess, more straightforward investments. I mentioned, you know, we've talked about Weipiao and Didi. There's also Meituan, Dianping, which has offers a lot of auto services, like ordering food, takeout. Uh, you can buy movie tickets on there as well. There's Jingdong, which has, in the past, Tencent had something called Pai Pai, so it's e-commerce. So Jingdong is now, and the e-commerce part has been kind of relegated to Jingdong, which is a big competitor of Taobao. And then I think something else that for me is kind of interesting is the investments that Tencent has made in the healthcare industry. Because at the moment, it's not so clear how they'll connect to Tencent. So for example, something, uh, there's a smart scales company in China called Peacock. They invested in them in 2014. Then there's like a mobile medical device company in the U.S. called Scanadu that they invested in last year. Then like a social network for doctors called Medlinker. And then another one called Guahal, which is now We Doctor, which lets you make appointments and rate doctors and services. So all of these, because healthcare has a lot of potential in China and is another one of those traditional industries that could really benefit from disruption. But I think it's interesting that Tencent has started to pick a few health-related startups to put money in. They also sometimes invest in like education startups as well. So I think really part of Tencent's investment strategy is kind of keeping its eyes on all different kinds of industries, as well as picking some that are quite, you know, immediately and obviously relevant to their business. It's pretty interesting. We have this whole almost an hour conversation about Tencent. And of course, you talk about QQ and WeChat as a whole. And I think that the story of Tencent is still continue to grow and probably much more interesting stuff that will come as well. So Eva, I guess I have my question for you. How do my audience find you? So Eva W. Xiao, that's X-I-A-O. Eva W. Xiao, that's my Twitter handle. And it's also my WeChat account. If you want to friend me on WeChat, because, you know, who needs work-life balance? But yeah, you can, that's Twitter and WeChat. And then, of course, on TechNode, you can find my articles there as well. And I definitely know that TechNode has a WeChat public account page as well which you can actually subscribe yeah. to. I subscribe to that, by the way. I also have a WeChat account. Oh, okay. It took you so long. <laughs> no, no, no. I actually have the account for almost two years already. Just that not a lot of people know about that. So you can find oh. me at bleongcw or at bernardleong.com or subscribe to us at Analyze Asia, A-N-A-L-Y-S-E Asia. Or you can also find our podcast through iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Acast. Just as an additional benefit, you can also find my WeChat account at BLeongCW2, which is the same as my Twitter account. So, Eva, once again, thank you for coming on the show. No, thank you, Bernard. Thanks.